everyone. This is Terry Mitchell with the Voice on Fire interview series, my interviews with intention. And if you've not followed along before, I like interviewing people that I find quite fascinating. They're people that are usually on a mission to make a difference in their local area or perhaps even across our global village. And today's guest is certainly in that category of change agents. I'd like to welcome Fahat Fadus to my uh, Voice on Fire platform. How are you today? I'm great, Terry. Excellent, Thank excellent. You. No, that's my pleasure to have you on board today. I'd love to uh, have a conversation with you that we share with our audience um, about what it is you do, who you do it for, and why you do it. So let's start that ball rolling. I'd love to share with the audience what it is that you do. Great. Thanks a lot, for, um, Terry, for this opportunity. So I'm at the moment currently sitting at the land of Kurnai Nations, and I acknowledge their um, elders past, present and emerging. Um, I'm very privileged to be in Gippsland, Victoria, in, in Australia. It's a lovely country. I'm a very recent migrant, so I migrated in 2013. Um, as it, uh, so, and I didn't migrate. I came as an international student um, mm -hmm. and studied counselling. Um, I guess before I came here, I was already an advocate for human rights, for gender um, equality and equity, mm -hmm. and um, for children um, who have gone through domestic abuse or sexual abuse or harassment in their lives early mm -hmm. on. So I guess I brought that rich sort of um, commitment to various issues in my home country from Pakistan. Um, and I came here um, again, you know, to learn new things because I felt while working there that, you know, we do need a lot more understanding of mental health, the trauma mm -hmm. and how people suffer through their lives based on an experience that they may have early on. Um, so while I was studying here in Melbourne, lucky, um, I um, developed um, interest, um, obviously, you know, further knowledge and understanding of mental health issues. And I started working in, in mental health um, and, and decided to move to a regional area, a rural area where there are not as many services or as many, um, you know, people to help um, those in need. And I guess I felt um, really um, privileged to, um, to hear several um, stories of my clients and learn from their experience. And I felt more and more committed and passionate about maybe um, giving um, the voice to people who may not have a voice. Mm -hmm. And that's where the voices on you know, fire or voice on fire really relates to me because it's really about amplifying those experiences, those voices to the, you know, any platform that you had, mm. um, you have, um, like whether it's my region uh, or whether it's Victorian government or whether it's Australian government or whether it's global, because I think the human challenges and human suffering are same across. There might be different reasons and causes, but they are um, experienced similarly, despite our very different stories. So I think that over time, I've developed my um, skills in advocacy and presenting the voices of underprivileged and people who may not have the platform or mm -hmm. the, the articulation of their experiences yeah. and their suffering. So um, I am in your in the intro that Terry wrote. Thank you beautifully. Um, um, I did run in the lo local government elections last year. Um, and again, it was a learning curve for me. I didn't get in. Uh, but I think I was able to highlight some of the issues that I think can really change people's lives, like mm -hmm. mental health, like, yeah. you know, community spaces, the connection, the need for 
connecting beyond our own little boxes that we create for ourselves and help others. So I think my passion is really that connection that, you know, creating those communities where people feel safe mm -hmm. um, to be themselves and then um, enjoy, the, uh, enjoy their lives and reach to their maximum potential. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. And it's so important. I hear that the strongest part of your message is about human connection and also about mental health and really mental health as I've understood it and as I've come to know it over the last few years, particularly, it really doesn't matter where you're from. Mental health is an issue across the globe and it may have, as you say, different causes or different reasons that it's come about, but humans are humans all the way through. They have mental health issues on every level and it could be a cultural issue, it could be a governmental issue, it could be a financial issue, it could be a health issue, whatever that issue, it doesn't, really doesn't, it could be a combination of anything but we all experience mental health challenges in almost the same way and it's really important that we do, as you have pointed out quite rightly, we understand that and that we are more connected beyond just our safe little bubbles that we've come to feel quite insular in and they're, they're important too it's it's we do need to feel safe but we also need to feel safe in reaching out and connecting and I'd love to know a little bit more about what project you're working on yeah so I guess I'm, I'm working on several projects one of them is similar to your uh, podcast name or webcast name it's called Voices for Monash which mm -hmm. is uh, a project of active citizenship and mm -hmm. democracy yep. uh, I guess we all hear and read um a lot of um, media chatter about that how the people are disengaged from the you know the the democracy or the the government and not happy with that but then if you are unhappy about something and if you don't like the way that our governments govern us um, then maybe we need to do something about it so I guess mm -hmm. for me the obvious reason is that how do we stay engaged with the political process so that we can influence the political process because I think the power is in the masses power is not in few people who are yes. sitting in our parliament. So if the, the masses are making these parliamentarians accountable, then we can achieve a lot out of it and make them respond to our needs. So that Voices for Phenomena started in um, Australia from Indi. It was the Voices for Indi. And we are trying to replicate that model um, in um, my region, which is Gippsland, and it's mm -hmm. the electorate called Monash. And that's a pretty um, interesting and learning experience for me and, and also finding my own voice in the process mm -hmm. because even in, in any group, when you work with a people of, um, group of people, then you have different opinions. So how do you influence them? Or how do you get influenced yourself? And how do you negotiate? So I think it's, it's what I'm learning through that process. I'm also involved in another project called um, Intercultural Exchange, which is mm -hmm. a brainchild of mine. Mm -hmm. And I think the premises of that intercultural exchange group is around that, that we all have culture. We all are, you know, um, enriched by our experiences in our own communities, whether mm -hmm. it's Asian, whether it's South Asia, whether it's Africa and several countries within Africa. I don't want to just put a label on Africa because it's so big and so rich in terms of their cultural practices or whether it's Europe and, you know, Americas or Canada. So mm. I think we all bring our own culture. And I think if we can acknowledge that, we can create a level playing field for each other and say, okay, if we all are cultured people, then let's talk about exchanging it for mm. building those beautiful human connections and building on our strengths each culture has. Because as I would, you know, you may agree that, you know, we all, are, all cultures are, 
beautiful, they might have some strengths and they might have some other things that might not, um, you know, align with the modern way of life. So how do we make use of those practices to inform us to become better human, better connected people and better com connected communities? for benefit of all of us. So I'll give you an example. On my street, there are at least two people that I closely know are from a very senior aged group, like, you know, 80 plus, they live on their own. Um, sometimes they need help in just putting their uh, dustbin out. Yes. And I just think that, you know, that's a, that's a very small step that anyone can do, but do we do it as no. often as we need to? We don't. And I guess they have a lot to tell my kid because my um, in-laws or my my parents have died, but my in-laws are in uh, back home in Pakistan. So my daughter doesn't have grandparents and they have mm -hmm. a lot to offer to my kid as grandparents or, mm -hmm. you know, someone like grandparents. Mm -hmm. yeah, so why can't people. we build those connections and bring the best out of people and say, let's just be help to each other. Mm. So I think that's what my... Um, ideal sort of situation is where we would extend offers of support and where we would be happy to receive um, support as well because I can tell you as a migrant and culturally diverse person in Australia it's not easy to seek support because mm. you think that you need to be resilient you need to survive and maybe seeking help is a failure which mm. is not so I think that's mm. where the idea is that if we can offer something then we're more happy to receive something as well and create an exchange which is equitable yeah, yeah, I really like I hope that. that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's that's lovely. It makes so much sense. The idea that we need to re-engage with people and social media and, and you know the use of computers and all that sort of thing has been amazing for what it can do for us. For example, I'm on one side of Melbourne, you're on the other, and here we are having a conversation, and it's fantastic. I get to have conversations with people around the world doing this and, and absolutely love it. But at the same time, we I'm in this house where I live and my and I, I'm almost laughing uh, in a nice way that you mentioned you have elderly people living in your street and you know when do when do we go out and pull their bins in or do something just a little bit nice for them when I first moved into this house and recovering from a car accident I still don't find it very easy to walk and struggling to put my bins out but I get them out I might be a little bit slow bringing them back in. I don't even have to even think about it because I go out and I look for them and they're already brought in. The little elderly lady next door does it for me without me even, I didn't even know. So I'm very thankful and very grateful, but it's that sense of where does that happen? Where do we see that happen? Why are, why are we not living the ideal neighbours environment as in the TV show, we're all neighbours, but are we really? And in what way do we actually live out that premise of being neighbours? Are we neighbourly to each other? Do we actually consider the people over the fence? Are we engaged with the people next to us who may be different age group, different culture, different background, different family structure? At what point do we actually connect with them? And I'm yeah, finding yeah. that in my time in Melbourne, I haven't really found that, that people tend to not want to go outside their fence line. And it's very unusual for people to actually speak to the person over the fence in all the environments that I've lived in. So I would love to, to see a much more connected and much more humanly engaged society, particularly where people feel that the person in their street is their new, not best friend necessarily, but maybe a kind of like extended part of the human family. It would be fantastic yeah. to know that we could knock on the door next door, knowing that I have run out of sugar and grab a cup. That, that simplicity, we just don't seem to do that anymore. Is, is that what you're actually looking at in terms of the, the intercultural exchange? 
Yes, and and more. So I guess you know I think I was raised in a in an environment where we would go and ask for that you know we're finished with the salt. Could you you know lend us two two mm -hmm. spoons of of salt or oil? Mm -hmm. And then we would do the same when they have something finished. So I think that has really allowed us to have a bit of safety of you know uh, knowing that you know while my mom and while my dad were on work, I knew that there were other people who were in the community and were looking after us. Do we have that community still but also mm -hmm. um on top of that i think also that addressing the the fear of other because mm -hmm. i know that yes. I, I am the other where i live um and how do we help our people to to um, connect over the similarities rather than the differences mm -hmm. and also celebrate the differences absolutely because if you're not different then you know um what do we have to add to mm. the community to that life or to, you know how do we enrich the life so mm. i think just um, acknowledge that we are similar we are all humans we have got the same blood running in our uh, bodies but also what differences we have can add value to the culture of the community that we live in and i think because of that fear of other a lot of people just hesitate to make an eye contact or to offer mm -hmm. you and smile or to you say hello to you because they think i might not respond the same way or I, mm -hmm. they don't know me or i might not do that the same because i think that oh this person working with their dog might not be interested in my hello mm -hmm. so should i say it or not mm -hmm. i do say it anyways that's just my habit but mm -hmm. um i think that's where the the beauty is um, also, I'll just give you an example of a project that I ran, a very small community-based project, COVID safe, um, to address the social isolation. We ran a, uh, a video project in which people were submitting their um, family meals, anything that they cook mm -hmm. at home when they're free or leisurely, yeah. um, and make a video and submit a video um, to the project um, organizers. And we had around 15, 16 um, recipes submitted to us. One of them was a um, very interesting European dish, um, mm -hmm. and that was called um, uh, Frog in a Hole, I think. Or mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, what that dish was like the name. <laughs> I just didn't know before even yes. I watched it. It was yeah. an elderly lady from yes. um, from European background, mm -hmm. um, and she submitted that video. And she was so excited about that video because she thought that through that video she could connect with her grandchildren in somewhere in Europe and send them a shot of like you know the video to yeah. to see what she could cook for them when she sees them actually face to face. Yeah. And I said to everyone, I said, you know, people um, raise question, is that culturally diverse? Is it something that you would include in social inclusion? I said, yes, because for me, that's a totally different dish, which Absolutely. I wouldn't go and Google and say, could I cook this dish because <laughs> I don't know the name. So for me, yeah. that's cultural education. And that's yeah. where for me, the enforcement of the idea that every one of us has, has culture and something mm -hmm. to offer to the other person yes. who's different from us and yes. through that we can connect in a way which is way beyond our connection through just saying hello how are you and you know are you are you okay mm -hmm. um i think that just connects you across those boundaries and it's pretty amazing how i felt towards mm -hmm. this woman um i just thought you know so much to offer and yeah. so little to say yeah oh it's amazing i think that's a fabulous idea the idea that food is such a cultural thing and such a connector and if yes. we all have to eat and when we're able to share the food particularly if we're sharing with people who may not be in a position to have the um freedom to eat three meals a day or eat nutritious meals so it's just nice to know that we can do something and become connected and share food and i think that would be something i'd love to see uh grow in our communities where we not only grow the food in our own yards 
but also make the food into or make the, the produce into food that we can share with others. Again, I think the idea of sharing and getting to know people at a deeper level is something that is so missing in our society at the moment. And maybe it's been something that's been building over a period of time, but it's certainly strikingly obvious and perhaps our COVID lockdown hasn't helped. But at the same time, when do we take the action to change that current dialogue? When do we make it something that we can address and be the person that says, you know what, I am going to step up. I'm going to be that person that acknowledges my neighbours and goes out and collect the mail for them and take it into their doorstep or the little things that just show that we care and are available to be someone, people that the people can connect with and chat with and talk with. And, you know, those days just seem so strangely missing and, and it would be so important to bring them back. And you know, I think what you're doing sounds amazing and it certainly sounds like something that we need to really bring to the fore, it needs to be a conversation that we have at the table and recognise that differences are what makes us who we are and makes us interesting. And we need to be able to open up and have those conversations. And, and based on that being what you do, and obviously there's a, a little bit of a revelation there in who you're doing it for, but let's open up that conversation. Who are you doing these particular projects for? I guess a so I'll just maybe briefly talk about my work role. So I work as the Multicultural Strategic Engagement Coordinator for Gippsland. It's a, it's a government-funded role. And I guess in that role, I entered with this assumption that I'll be helping people from culturally diverse people. And when I talk about culturally diverse people, it's migrants and refugees and, you know, people who are on temporary protection visas um, or working in the community on, you know, temporary working visas, all of them. And I think working, trying to understand and scope their challenges and their issues, I realised that we might look at them as a as a small group within the larger community, but they are part of the community. And if mm. the, part, the bigger community is not feeling that they could welcome other people, then how am I going to really improve anything for yep. my small group? Yep. So I think that it's, I realized in the first year when I was just doing the scoping and trying to understand what could I do, is that how do we make sure that the communities are welcoming to this mm. small cohort yep. of people? And in that welcoming, um, I realized that, you know, people have to be fulfilled in their own lives to be welcoming others, not, not the other way around. Like by opening up to others, they will become fulfilled. I guess that comes at a later stage where you give up, uh, where you give out and you, yeah. you know, you really share your generosity. But that can't come unless you are happy and fulfilled in your own life. So I guess yeah. I realized that to address any cohort, uh, issues of any cohort, you have to really work with the mainstream community or the mm -hmm. wider community. And I think that's where um, that understanding came from that, you know, we need to acknowledge that all the people that are in the community needs someone to listen to them and yeah. someone to talk about their issues. And that's where I thought, you know, maybe I need to be more involved within the mainstream community. So I started um, volunteering with local community house mm -hmm. who I started volunteering with a number of other groups and, and really making those connections for myself because I need to be part of the community mm -hmm. before I can help others to connect with it. I think when I talk about the migrants and refugee, I think I see a number of challenges that are specific to that group of people, um, which is like, you know, the language. They might mm -hmm. not know enough English to be able to ask for help, to be yeah. able to advocate for themselves. And that's yeah. where it's really important for them to find a voice. And if they don't have a voice on the table, then maybe someone else have mm. to uh, 
uh, present their voices and their concerns and their issues. So I think that's the role that I play on an ongoing basis. And I try and use my personal lived experience of isolation, of um, feeling, you know, lonely, feeling depressed, because I'm trying to work in a community which is, um, you know, which is gradually accepting me, but not fast enough for me mm -hmm. to feel connected. And that's where I think if we have those spaces where that I talked about earlier, like, you know, community hubs or libraries or safe spaces where people could come and just connect over a cuppa or, you know, a newspaper article or something, um, that could really change um, the feeling of well-being for a number of people um, and, and, you know, for the host communities and for the new arrivals or settlers yes. alike. I think I've built a lot on my personal experience because I think without me being authentic about my experience, um, I can't really help anyone else. So I mm. have early on in my life, I felt, um, you know, um, I've experienced um, domestic violence. I've experienced mental health issues among my family members, close family members. And I've been a young carer. And later on in my life that I have um, a number uh, of conditions that I need to manage. And I guess through that learning about myself, I learned a lot about other people as well exactly. yeah. um, and, and it, it's an ongoing journey I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I don't I don't hide that because you know there are times and you would be aware of the mental health mental health can impact you on one day and then maybe for a year you would be fine and then you would have another six months when you are impacted by that mm -hmm. so how do we normalize that conversation about mental health so that people can come out and say this is not my best day can I seek mm -hmm. some help Yep. And I think that help would only be sought and provided if we have the safety, psychological safety of saying that I'm not well today. Mm. And that's not, um, that's a luxury that's not available to everyone exactly. at the moment. So yep. I think by by sharing my own experience of saying that, yes, after my, I gave birth to my daughter, I had a bad patch in my life, I lost my mother, and that was the patch when I learned about life um, most. Mm. But that learning comes at a price and mm. help people to feel that it's okay to be in pain today because yeah. it's going to only improve your life in the coming mm. year or in the coming um, you know, decade. Mm. Um, I think we don't value that learning through pain enough. No. Uh, and that's where we miss on uh, reaping the fruit of that pain mm. that we all go through just by yeah. a human condition and nature. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's so, so um, relevant that when we go through an extreme hardship or a very difficult time or a painful loss or other grievance that is very difficult for us to adjust to, it's very hard in those moments to know that it's actually something that's going to enrich your life. Um, and you have to be of a mindset that allows you to see that it can enrich your life, but you've also got to go through the grieving. You've got to also be allowed to feel what you feel. And I think at the moment we're going through a society change that's almost saying, no, it's not okay for you to be miserable because I'm going to consider that you're negative and I don't want to hang around negative people. People aren't necessarily negative by choice. Some people don't realise that they're presenting with a negative language style or a negative behaviour pattern because the people around them aren't supporting them enough in saying something to perhaps positively help them address it. And I think what we're, we're, we lack at the moment is a connectedness that says, you know, I hear that you're not having a good day and I'm, I'm really sad that you're feeling that way. Would you like me just to come around and have a cuppa or can I call you or can we maybe have a Zoom chat or would you like just some time to yourself? Maybe, you know, we, we just don't seem to know how to have the appropriate conversation that lets someone feel heard so that their emotional state feels validated 
And I believe, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, I think we're probably having a similar conversation that if we were to acknowledge that someone is having a difficult time and we recognise that and share that uh, communication with them, they're less likely to bottle it up, so less likely for it to become like a pressure cooker within themselves so that it'll last not anywhere near as long because they'll, they'll be acknowledged, so that's a good feeling. They have a chance to perhaps gain some information from somebody who may share something with them that might help them through the difficulty, and that allows them also to acknowledge just a general reality of natural grieving, which I don't think we do very well. So I wonder if, if that uh, resonates with, with your thoughts. It certainly does. And I think grieving is such a big thing, and especially in times like now. Like, I don't know whether I have seen anything like what we have now in my, you know, 40-odd uh, years. Um, and I just feel that we are just, you know, obviously taking day by day and hoping to get, get through this time. But in the process... I think we have acknowledged the power of relationships at certain, mm. uh, to a certain extent and started valuing some of the things. I hope that we don't forget the lessons learned during mm. COVID and keep building on these learnings because I think it's really important to allow yourself to focus on what um, what is really valued, like mm. what it is that really helps me to stay um like you know maintain my energies or mm. wake up in the morning and keep going I mm. um I'm a very um you know I'm very proud that I am um uh, I have a big extended family as you can understand coming from South Asian background um and we still have really strong ties to mm. the families like my um family and my husband's family and we are uh, at times we are supporting them at times we're seeking their support for us you know mm -hmm. to be um, doing what we do here in Australia pretty much on their own um, we do miss on all the family and the beautiful yeah. things that the families do to each other but I think what gets me going every morning is that I know there are people um, who would need me to keep going and yeah. I think that the power of relationship is really important for me just to guide my own life so I have always like I've struggled with the concept of values when I came to Australia and I was like you know why do we have to talk about values all the time everywhere I go mm -hmm. mental health or psychology or counseling or you know community engagement and with time I made pace with that but I from the very start when even I struggled with the word values I thought the relationships with family is the most important things for me and I would mm -hmm. do everything and anything for them. And yeah. I'm really privileged that I can do uh, a tiny bit for them by mm -hmm. being here um, yeah. on my own, but um, really um, looking at that as my contribution to my family and to my communities. And I think if we could all realise a little bit of and you know acknowledge a little bit of that responsibility towards our families, our communities, we could make this world a real beautiful place to live mm. um, for and live with, um, live in. Um, I think that's a that's a task that needs every one of us. We can all be leaders, sometimes from the front, sometimes from the back, sometimes mm. from the middle. But I think we all have to take that little by little and keep chipping along on that, um, on uh, and help people who really need that support from us. Mm. So I think for me, it's really all through the life. It's about first, it was about helping and supporting my mum and say, you know, what can I do for you because I can see you are taking the, sh the burden of the family single-handedly, what can I do to help you or improve the situation? And then it was, you know, other people. So I think it just, you learn it early, but you mm. can learn it later as well. Mm. <laughs> um, so just really hoping um, that we could all take a bit 
and and help our communities but also our environment which is really suffering at the moment mm. yeah absolutely and it is really so important that we we realize that in order to make progress in our society we have to realize that society is made up of individuals and also made up of groups of individuals and in order for us to be a healthy society we need to let go of judging we need to let go of labeling in the intense form that we tend to rely upon um, we we need to feel that it's okay to reach out and say i'm having a difficult day today it's not my best day and the idea that our workplaces perhaps even need to recognize that sometimes the um, contract of um, employment that holds eight to ten days of sick leave is not enough and in particularly as life has changed so much but perhaps it needs to be managed in a different way so that perhaps someone can still work but maybe they can work in a different way on a difficult day and acknowledge that people are human people go through very difficult times and it's more professional to be authentic and truthful than it is to put on a stiff upper lip and pretend that there's nothing wrong and then in the end perhaps not even feel able to sustain the employment so you know we, we have so many different things it's such a convoluted and complex situation I think it's really important that we find ways to re-engage with each other. And I'm hoping, as you've said, that you know, we don't forget the lessons of COVID, that we we realize there's much to learn and we 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 still have such a huge learning curve ahead of us. Um oh, and, um, yep. sorry, Terry, I was just really surprised this year. I was waiting for the statistics on the suicide in Australia, which is mm -hmm. usually very high. And this year, if you look at the suicide rate, it has gone down. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, what have we done differently? Obviously, there's a lot that has been done differently. Obviously, the government has increased the benefits for people on payments, like you know, looking for employment or disability, um, or people who are um, parenting or caring for someone. They have given them uh, income supplements, and that might have been one of the reasons. I was quite shocked and surprised by that. You know, if people have enough to eat they might mm. not think about or enough to feed their children they might yes. not think about the extreme measures like suicide mm. but also i think we have really during covid and that's where i really want to emphasize the learning part of the covid is that we have you know asked the question that are you okay more than ever mm. we have allowed people to take the time off and go for a walk and come back and then do the thing on your computer or zoom mm. or teams um, we have allowed people to say, okay, yeah, we don't, you don't have sick leave, but we will give you some extra time to go away mm. because you have to take care for someone who's yeah. ill or who's recovering from COVID or who's recovering yeah. from other ailments. So I think we have become more kind and more compassionate towards each other and ourselves as well. So I, I think that it just really has got a, a lot to um, give to us if we can continue with that. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, it's, it's fascinating to hear you say that, to know that thankfully the, the suicide rate in Australia is perhaps coming down. Who knows if that is going to be a, a, an ongoing down, uh, downward run because the way it has been, the way it's spiked and it, it's an issue in itself and it's something that would be so, so better handled if we as a collective society reached out to people and extended that kindness and just recognized people go through difficult times and most most people 
And my background's in psychiatric nursing and I've seen this. Most people do not know how to cope with a bad day. They have yeah. their own coping strategies and those coping strategies may be things that they learned when they were children and are still relying on those coping strategies because they don't seek help. They don't talk to anyone. They don't admit to the difficulties that they're going through. And it's so many other layers of, of com, um, complex situations going on. So I certainly hope that we are in a position where the world will start the healing journey because it's still going. We've still got a lot of trauma going on in the world beyond just COVID. There's a lot of trauma going on and we we all need to collectively stand up and start saying enough's enough. Let's come together. We need to come together. So yeah. I think what you're doing in terms of your contribution to that sounds just so essential. And, and certainly I hope that you continue with it and it continues to, to grow and provide the support that you've been speaking about. Um, I'd like to just take this conversation to the next level and ask you the final question. Why is it that you do it? What's we've, we've talked about what you do and who you do it for. Why do you do it? What's your driving force? I would just maybe go back to that, you know, my experiences um, in my life early on, but also after migration, um, they both were very isolating. So I had a very isolated childhood in which things went on and I, you know, survived. I had developed maybe a survival sort of technique for myself and resilience for myself to keep going. So I'm neurodiverse. And mm -hmm. I, as I mentioned, I do have um, a couple of conditions that I manage, um, sometimes with help, sometimes without help. And I feel that, you know, um, I have a, you know, a, a, at times I felt I'm an anomaly or I'm sitting mm -hmm. on the fringes. I don't fit in a box. I don't yeah. fit in this circle or that circle. And with time, I realized that what I have is different mm -hmm. and that's my asset and that's yeah. my strength and that's who I can, uh, that's what I can utilize yeah. to help other people. Absolutely. Acknowledging their difference, identifying their difference and mm -hmm. then build on their powerhouse yeah. of that difference. Yes. Because I think what's different really keeps me driving mm -hmm. um, and that's my persistence that, you know, I mm -hmm. might fail first time, I might do it again and I might, you know, change my tag and change mm -hmm. my strategy. And I think if I can tell people that I do have all these limitations, mm -hmm. but because I'm different, that's my strength and that's mm -hmm. keeping me going. So yeah. I think I just want to help other people who might be hiding behind their difference and thinking maybe they're not accepted in the community mm -hmm. or in the world at times those exclusions are put in from outside yes. and you are excluded from certain things but at times it's put in from inside as well and you think mm. because there is a perception of normal being you might not fit the normal being so mm -hmm. i think that's what helps me to keep going and i and that just drives me that you know people who are thinking their english is not best but they can communicate in English, mm. ask another English speaking person to communicate in my language. They mm -hmm. would know a mm. word. They might know salam, they might know exactly. goodbye and say the hafiz, but they wouldn't know anything else. Absolutely. I know that. So that's their strength that they can communicate in another language. But mm -hmm. someone like neurodiverse, I think they have got strengths to offer. They can mm. focus on sometimes, you know, people with um, certain uh, diagnosis, they can focus um, for hours on things and just really make beautiful um, things out of it sometimes computer programs or computer you know geniuses but they can and that's building on their 
difference. Mm. So why not we acknowledge that we are a team, a human team, mm. and just build on our differences to support each other? I think mm. that's the idea that we can. And whether you look at intercultural exchange and whether you look at my personal drive to work on certain issues, and they are very diverse, my interests. But I think that's the thing, that we all feel that we're not, our experience is unique. It is. Mm but it would be shared among so many others. Why not mm. connect to those so many others and become a force and become a team mm. uh, and tackle things that are bothering us as, mm. as communities or as countries or as the world, universe. Mm. We can tackle the climate change if you want. <laughs> I yeah. do believe in that. Mm. But the, the willingness is the actual issue. And I think the willingness would only come when we realize why it's important to do it for us. So I think it's a yeah. really good question that you asked, Terry, there. Um, I, I think it's the why that we have to figure out. And it's not mm. me. There are greater, bigger people who have said it. Simon Sinek, one of them. What's mm. your why? Mm. Oh, I think I think what you've said is so so important. I think it comes down to when we do recognize our why, it, it helps to shape the, the the foundations of our actions and we I, I'm I'm sensing in the world and in I'm wondering if you'll resonate with this I'm sensing that we have really become disconnected from our actions in the sense that some we can do some things and that's a, you know, take an action to do something but we try to do it in the most I suppose detached way so that and I, and I was talking to someone earlier today and the example I gave was if I make a donation and I put money into a money jar and that donation goes to help a foundation I feel good because I've put money in and I know that that's my contribution I've done something what I sense is in that experience and I even felt it for myself it's a sense of disconnection I don't know where the money's going I don't know who it's helping but I feel good because I've done it but I'm distanced from the outcome. Whereas what I tend to do and what I've been doing in my background is I've been supporting a number of um, uh, individuals and communities across Africa and other locations. And when I am providing a donation, I pro provide it specifically to the person who needs it. And I have the photos of where they've, where they've invested that money. And it's often with food because oftentimes the children that they are looking uh, taking care of don't have the food and I get little video snippets where the little children are yelling out to me and saying thank you in the video uh, and it's it's just so heartwarming to know that I feel connected to them and I, I I develop a sense of responsibility they're almost like my own extended family and children and it's different to putting money in a jar this is about investing in people's lives and then I get to find out more about their situations and those stories become part of my stories. And I think if we, this is my experience and I, I'm certainly working towards this being a more global experience, I think it's important that if we can get to know who it is we're helping in a more connected way rather than the distant sense of, oh, it's just that country over there that's in crisis and, you know, this big organisation wants a donation and I'll, I'll give them a donation. It's fantastic. We still do need to do that, but we need to be invested in that donation and we need to be invested in realising we're helping people, we're helping animals, we're helping the environment. And if you've got children, you're helping the future planet that your children are going to live on and inhabit. And you have to ask yourself, what kind of environment would you want your grandchildren to know that you left for them? And yeah. I guess that's the big driving question for me that really sparks that sense of 
community and connection and giving, as you've spoken about, that whole sense of feeling more connected to the people around us. And I wonder if that is something that resonates with you. I would say I was just listening to you, what you were saying. I think for me, really, the relationships are the key. I think that the future world can only be built if it's a safe future world for my daughter, for your kids or anyone's, um, you know, the, the young generation. It mm -hmm. could only be built through the relationship, power of relationships. So the Australian government does provide us, you know, the aid to Pakistan and to so many other countries. And I've benefited from that aid because I came here as a scholarship. But I... Mm -hmm think that if it was done through building a relationship with the people mm -hmm. it would have gone you know far out yeah. and you know really reached yeah. people and touched their hearts so I think it's about that those relationships and how mm -hmm. do we build strengthen and protect those relationships by waging wars mm -hmm. we're breaking those relationships yeah, and I absolutely. think that just really makes me sad thinking about, you know, every uh, Remembrance Day and every mm. Australia Day, I think about what are we celebrating? Are we celebrating mm. the right thing? Are mm. we just, I think for me, the it is about acknowledging people who have lost lives in those mm. um, wars. But I just think that it would have done a lot more um, good to the communities and to the world and to the universe if we had tried building relationships and made sense of how we can move on from the conflict that we have resolve yes. the dispute through that and i know that you know it's not that easy i'm just making mm. maybe making it simplistic but if like think about seven billion people mm. i can't be connected to seven billion people but i can be maybe connected to 700 people around mm. me mm -hmm. in my family or in my immediate community and if every one of the person is connected to 700 people mm -hmm. then we all are connected aren't absolutely. we would have maybe three, absolutely four, five, yep amazing relationships and Absolutely. that's what would keep us healthy that would help us heal yeah. from all the colonization trauma from all mm -hmm. the war trauma um, and it would allow us to live healthy beautiful lives for longer um, mm -hmm. and, and protect our universe I think that's a key yeah. for our future yeah. generations for now but also for future generations like mm -hmm. because when my daughter asked me what's happening to the uh, Great Barrier Reef I mm -hmm. don't have an answer mm -hmm. I just feel I'm clueless yeah because I don't trust the people who are taking those decisions. And mm. I just think that maybe we need to act on it. Mm. If we are frustrated about it, then we act on it. And yeah. and when I say act, it could be a really small act. Mm -hmm. um, just saying to another person or helping my daughter understand better that how come she can reduce the consumption and reduce mm -hmm. the wastage and reduce yep. the, the, shit, uh, the, yep. the, the dump that we are yep. putting in our seas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said makes so much sense and it, the relationships are really critical. And as you say, we may be connected to 100, 700, 7,000 people, but if every one of us recognises how many people are really within our circles and then every one of those people is connected to someone else, we are all connected. We cannot deny that. We are all connected in some way, shape, form. We all have a relationship with somebody around the planet and it's so, so critical that we recognise there's no time for putting labels on things anymore. This is not a time for, for escalating crisis and escalating conflict, which our government seems to be very good at doing. It's about being able to step back and say, how can we heal this? How can we heal this? What are the steps that we can take? Let's forget policies and procedures for the moment. Let's talk relationships and connections. How can yeah. we have conversations and communications that show that we are listening and that we care and that we want to make a change. And I think relationships, is, it's, it's what it's all about. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I have one last really big question for you. It's a bit of a random one. I don't, don't always ask this, but I'd like to know from you, 
what's your one big wish for humanity? Oh, <laughs> well, that's a good question. I would say, and I guess it's maybe I'm influenced at the moment by the 16 days of activism. Mm -hmm. I would say yep. that we could start respecting people for who they are, like humans, not women and men. We, we become one because I think I have experience in my life gender-based violence mm -hmm. and I know how it damages. I'm lucky, yeah. I'm fortunate to come out of it yeah. by the blessing of my parents or my community or my education or just by chance. Mm -hmm. But if we can take away that experience, like if someone says, you know, I can't take you back in your childhood and take away the experience of violence, mm -hmm. I would say I'll give it a go mm. because it does damage people. So I mm. think if one wish, yes, we can treat people, children, women and men for who they are and not be violent towards them. And sorry, I'm just getting emotional on that. Mm. Just to, to, to nod there. No, mm. yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a passionate and personal and very powerful subject. And I thank you for sharing that. And I think it's important that we recognise that respect Respect is the one thing that we, we really need to nurture. And I think if we can do that, we have uh, an amazing future for people like your, your daughter and people going forward. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your time with me today on Voice on Fire. It's been a fabulous conversation and I look forward to seeing how your projects develop and we will share with the audience in the description for the YouTube video and also the podcast any links that, where they can connect with you if they want to reach out to you and, and have further conversations with you. And, yeah, and I'll load this to the YouTube channel and podcast and also to iHeartRadio. So it'll be um, available for everyone to listen in to what a great conversation we've just had. Thank you, Terry. Really appreciate it. And, I yeah, I just love talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're watching or listening to Voice on Fire interviews with intention. If you're new to Voice on Fire interviews, you'll hear from everyday amazing people on a mission to make a difference. These people are change agents, action takers and difference makers, having a positive impact on their local community or across our global village. Don't forget to subscribe and click the notification bell for updates on new interviews. I hope you enjoy.